week 10, it's been a while uh, since we've been in this, uh, this study. Uh, just by way of reminder, uh, each week that we do this uh, as a ministry, encouraging you just 15, 20 minutes a week, uh, you can start to cultivate and develop the skills that you need to be a better student of the Bible. You are all uh, involved in school to some degree right now. You're told constantly by your teachers that math, science, history, all those things are important. They give you homework to develop your skills to get better at those things. We as a church want to do that to help you in the thing that we find to be the most important thing for you in your life, which is your growth in Christ. And that comes from knowing and studying God's word better and with other people. And so we get to do that here this evening as we come back to our study on the identity of Jesus. Remember, we've been spending this year trying to better unpack uh, this one that the Bible sets forth as the Savior, as the Deliverer. And yet there's all kinds of perspectives, there's all kinds of perceptions about who Jesus was. Uh, we spent the better part of the whole first semester of the year looking at the Gospel of John and seeing what John had to say about Jesus, and in particular, what Jesus has to say about himself. Uh, over the last seven weeks that we were in this study in uh, first semester, we looked at all the I am statements that Jesus has to say about himself. That he is the light of the world, that he is the good shepherd, that he is the resurrection and the life, he is the true vine, all these various things. But now we're going to venture into some of the other Gospels and even into some of the New Testament letters to see what they also have to say about Jesus. And that brings us this evening to week 10 in Matthew chapter 1. And this is uh, a really great passage. Next week will be too that uh, really segue off of uh, the Christmas season. I know it feels weird. Uh, Christmas all of a sudden to me feels like it was a really long time ago, but uh, chronologically it really wasn't that long ago. But uh, we're going to look at some passages that we think of that go along with the Christmas story. And here in particular looking at the birth narrative from Matthew's Gospel. So if you would stand, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, and then we'll walk back through this and allow plenty of time for you to get to your groups for some discussion. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25 reads like this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He 
He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. All right, go ahead and have a seat, and I'm going to pray as we ask for God to help us better understand this passage together this evening. So let's pray. Father, now as we take these next 15, 20 minutes to better understand your word, we do want to pray that you would help uh, illumine our hearts, uh, help us to better see Jesus for who he is, Uh, but not just who he is. Pray that you would help us to see what that means for us, uh, this side of the cross, uh, to know how Jesus changes everything, and in particular changes our lives and how we respond to him. So give us that wisdom tonight as we seek to uh, bring some clarity, but also some fresh perspective to a passage that is certainly familiar to many, if not most of us in the room this evening. So we pray for your blessing on our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so by quick summary here, hopefully again you had some time to do your observations uh, between uh, last week and, and this, I mean really over the last two months for the most part. Um, but this one's a little bit of a unique one as you answer some of those questions here, uh, right? As you look about uh, what's said about Jesus or how he's described or how he describes himself, the reality is there's not much necessarily that uh, Jesus has to say because the reality is Jesus isn't even here yet in this story. And really, as we think about the repeated words and phrases, there's not a lot. Uh, There's a lot of names, uh, people that are maybe repeated, but a couple of key phrases maybe that you have seen repeated over and over. What are some of the words or the repeated phrases that you saw maybe in this passage here? Yeah, Bailey? Conceived. Conceived? Absolutely. What else? Yeah. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Perfect. Oh, later. Yes. Angel of the Lord, absolutely. Yeah. Bear a son. Bear a son, absolutely. Shall call his name, right? So these phrases, some of these things that repeat themselves time and time again. Reality is we see in this, Jesus doesn't give any direct commands, warnings, or promises because, well, Jesus isn't born yet, right? And so a little bit unique, we see a few commands given by the angel, but more importantly, the question is, why are we given this information? What are some of the purpose statements? What are some of the things you see in this passage that give you some insight into why you have been given this information about Jesus? Yeah, Bailey. To understand that Jesus came to earth as a baby, fully human, and fully God. Okay. To understand Jesus came to earth, fully human, fully God. Very good. What else? Anything directly from the passage here, especially, yeah. Oh, uh, he will save his people from their sins. Absolutely. That four, four, he, his name shall be Jesus for because he will save his people from their sins. Anything else? Uh, perhaps maybe one of the clearest statements of purpose of this whole passage you might have noticed is in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill. Right? All of this took place. All of this happened. All of what the angel was saying and communicating. All of this took place to fulfill what had been spoken Hundreds of years earlier by the prophet, and you probably saw there in the study notes, the prophet in particular, Isaiah, who foretold of a time when this would happen. 
And so as you, this one was a little bit more interesting as you probably tried to formulate a main point because there's only so much that was said, but the little bit that was said makes perhaps the main point uh, a bit clearer. Anybody want to share or kind of give insight into what main point you formulated uh, as a result? Right, this idea at, as Emmanuel, as God with us, Jesus, what? Came to save us, absolutely. Love it. Really good. Very, very faithful to the text. Or yes. That's good. That's a lot to do. I was going to repeat it, but that's a lot. I can't say all at once. So yes. Excellent. So I'm going to basically uh, go off of a lot of what you guys just said here. And I'm just going to boil it down most simply, I think, the way we see this in this passage. If we could sum it up uh, most concisely and succinctly. Uh, if you want to even write this out, you can. But as God with us, Jesus has come to save us from our sins. Or if you want to even abbreviate that further, as God with us, Jesus came to save sinners. In its most succinct form, this passage teaching us about God sending Jesus, Jesus being God with us, the whole purpose of that, even just uh, implied there in his name. He's called Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. We'll unpack that a little bit more. Let me just go back to this story, though, because I'd like to uh, add some color to this, because this is a story that I'm guessing most of you are pretty familiar with you've read it before especially around the christmas time but i just want to maybe give some extra depth and some insight that maybe you hadn't thought about as you considered this story so verse 18 now the birth of jesus christ took place in this way when his mother mary had been betrothed to joseph before they came together she was found to be with child from the holy spirit lot there. A lot of very interesting things here. Obviously, Matthew makes it very clear that he's entering into this verse saying, here is how uh, the story of Jesus' birth took place. And it begins with a young couple in love. A man and a woman. A woman named Mary. And notice that here it says here that they had been betrothed. Uh, betrothed is not exactly a word that you and I use in today's culture. If you look down there, betrothed uh, is a, a pretty significant word. Uh, in the past, a lot of people have equated this because it says that they weren't officially married yet, right? It doesn't say that they were husband and wife quite yet. Uh, so a lot of people have maybe compared betrothed uh, to something like uh, engagement, uh, while I understand the logic behind that, the reality is engagement doesn't do enough justice to what is actually taking place here. Uh, to be betrothed, as your notes would show you, would say that this is a legally binding contract between the man and the woman, which formally recognize them as married. So even though it doesn't use the wording there that they were married, they were legally, by that point, considered to be married uh the way that we would equate that in our culture uh let's think about it more like this um does anybody know when is a couple 
considered officially married in our current society. When are you considered to be officially married? Yeah. What's that? When you have a wedding? We would think that for sure, but I'd say there's something even more to that. It's not even just the wedding. This is going to be super boring when you hear Once they say like their vows. Once they say their vows, you would think so, but no. Yeah, JC. Once you sign the marriage license. The marriage license is that legal government paper that specifies that you are now officially a married couple. You apply for one, you hold off on signing it until the day you actually get married, but once you sign that, you are officially married. You are not married when you say your vows, though that's important. You are not married when the pastor says you may kiss the bride. You are not married even when you slip on the ring on their finger. Our girls, we've had to really clarify for them that whole idea, right? My ring does not make me married. It is a symbol of my marriage, but it doesn't make me married. So when I take my ring off, it's not like I'm not married anymore. I still am. But in this society, this idea of betrothed would be kind of more like how we think about a marriage license, right? They are officially legally considered to be married, but they have not uh, formally come together physically in the way that a married couple would. They have not had that final step, which is significant because verse 18 says before they came together. In other words, before they had any type of physical relationship uh, that would be within the marriage relationship, something happened. And Mary discovers that she's pregnant. That's got to be a shock to everyone. I mean, think about her. I mean, Mary, uh, according to this uh, world and day and age, she would have been uh, probably equivalent to the age of many of you in this room, actually. She, she would have been a, a young girl, a teenager. And so you can imagine her shock, her confusion, when she realizes she's pregnant, but she hasn't had any type of physical relationship with a man. And you can imagine from Joseph's perspective, the confusion, the mixed emotions with that. Now, Matthew gives us some insight here. We, we're given the footnotes and the, the details and say, well, this is from the Holy Spirit. This is something that is supernatural. It's suspicious, but it's really supernatural. But you can imagine all the mixed feelings, emotions, confusions by everybody involved in this. And here's one of the unique things. There is not a lot that we hear about this guy named Joseph, who is Jesus's dad in the New Testament. Maybe but a few verses in total. But I will say this. The little bit we know about Joseph is that he was a pretty stand-up guy. Notice even Matthew's take on it in verse 19. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. Now, in this society, it would not be uncommon for an Israelite man if something like this happened 
to want to do everything possible to bring shame upon the woman. In fact, in the Old Testament times, uh, this guy would have reason to not just bring shame upon her, to not uh, just legally pursue divorce with her, but even potentially to have her be stoned to death. I mean, we're talking utter humiliation. But Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to that shame, even if there was reason to believe that she had been unfaithful to him, he resolved to divorce her quietly. And that is not, don't hear that, as something that is shameful on Joseph's part. In fact, he's doing what he can to be the most honorable person in this, right? Because he could have made a big deal about this. Uh, but you see there in your study helps that divorce could be done privately with just a couple of witnesses, could have done it quietly, separated, and it might have been the end of it. And so he resolved to do that. But we know that even though man plans his ways, the Lord directs his steps, right? That's why we see in verse 20 that important conjunction but, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. How? In a dream. Miraculous way. And this angel in the dream says to him, Joseph, son of David, which again connects Jesus and Joseph here to this family line of King David the royal king of Israel's past. And that's what he says to Joseph. Do not fear. Most common command in all of the Bible, do not be afraid. Do not fear. And in particular, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Do not be ashamed to take her as your wife. What seems so confusing and what seems so risky to do is actually worth it because there is something bigger at play here. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Mary has not been unfaithful to you. She has not gone behind your back here. No, this is the Lord's doing. The Lord is doing something supernatural here. And I want to give you some insight into that. I want you to better understand exactly what is happening here. Verse 21, she is going to bear a son. I was thinking about this this week. How many of you have ever been to a, uh, a gender reveal party for a, a couple that's having a baby? You know, are they going to have a boy or a girl, right? What are, some of the unique, what are some of the unique ways that you've seen gender reveals before? What's, what are some of the ways, yeah? Cake pops. Cake pops, love it, yep. Mine's similar to Adrian's, like the inside color of the cake. Okay, inside, yep. Okay, what else? Anything else? I've seen uh, eggs cracked with, uh, yeah. I've seen a game of tic-tac-toe where the winning color was the gender. Okay, tic-tac-toe, I love it. I'm not going to have time for all of these here, yeah. My, brother, or some, my brother's friend shot a gun and the colored pellet came out. Ah, uh, the colored pellets, yes. 
Uh, my particular, I love it if you go on YouTube or anything, like you can find all kinds of gender reveal fails. Those are the best, or you know what the best ones are? Are when they already have siblings in the family and they reveal what it is and the siblings lose their mind over how upset they are over like the fact that it's another girl or another boy. <laughs> They're so sad. Anyways, I, I thought about this here because think about it. In this culture, it, we, we take this for granted because we have the ability to know boy, girl, what we're having, whatever. They didn't know that back then. They had no way of knowing what was coming. And I love this. This is like one of the few gender reveals you see in the Bible. And you have here the message, she's going to bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And that is a significant name. You know, it's actually the same name in the Old Testament for the name <coughs> Joshua. Many of you have been here on Sunday mornings that we've studied the book of Joshua. It's the same name in the Old Testament for Hosea. They all have the same meaning, which is specified even here by the angel, for he will save his people from their sins. The name itself means the Lord saves. And in particular, this is a salvation that is not being delivered from physical enemies, or oppression. It's deliverance from and salvation from the greatest of enemies, which is sin itself. God is sending his very son into the world to save his people from the greatest power, which is the power of sin. And this is amazing because it's all being done according to what the Lord had spoken hundreds of years ago through the prophet Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah had spoken of this in his day and age. We don't have time to unpack all the significance there, but told of a day where this would be fulfilled, where a virgin, uh, one who had not had any relations with a man, would one day have a son, and they would call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Think about that. God with us. You know, the whole story of the Bible is kind of a progression of a God who is constantly moving towards his people. You see that throughout the scriptures. You see in the Old Testament, especially with God when he's leading the people out of, the, uh, out of Egypt, out of the Exodus. And you see him in a, a pillar of fire uh, and a cloud of smoke and and he is God among his people, or God who is out there. And then they build a tabernacle so that God can dwell among them. But there's still this real separation that exists. But then by the time you get to the New Testament with Jesus, God is not just among them. It is God with them. And then the cool thing is that by the time we get to later on in the Gospels and what we see throughout the rest of the New Testament, is that God is not just with us. We see God in us. I'll talk about that more in just a moment here. But verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He did exactly that. He acted in faith. He trusted the Lord in this, even though it was hard. He took his wife, but he knew her not. He did not have any relations. He didn't want any confusion about what the supernatural event was here. And when she had given birth to a son, she called, or he called his name Jesus, think about this. I mean, Joseph 
This chapter is also a story about adoption. Because, again, Jesus is not his biological son, but he takes them as his own. Uh, really commendable in his efforts there. But he does exactly as the angel says, and he brings the son into the home, and he is called Jesus because his name reflects that very purpose, that he has come to save his people from his sins. And so as we look at this story here tonight, and as we get ready to go to your groups, I just want to speak to, to two different audiences here. For those of you here this, this evening who have still yet to really make much of Jesus, you know, your life has been lived for yourself, you have experienced maybe the pain of trying to do life your own way to satisfy your desires with all the things of this world, and yet somehow you know that that's not the answer. This passage reminds you here, and I don't mean this in any type of cheesy way, this passage reminds you why Jesus came. And without being cliche, this is the very truth that we talk about all the time. And the one passage that everybody knows from the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave, that he sent his only son so that whoever would believe in him could have eternal life. That passage is reminding you right there of the very fact of why Jesus has come to be with us so that you would put your trust in him so that he would deliver you from the very thing that is holding you back, the very thing that is enslaving you in your life, which is your sin. This story reminds us that Jesus is God's rescue plan for each and every one of you. And for those of you who have put your trust in that this evening, who have committed yourself to that reality, this passage is also a reminder to you uh, of so many other foundational truths that are so important. As I reminded you before, this reminds us that according to the New Testament, God isn't just with us with Jesus, but Jesus, as he gets ready to go back to the Father before he ascends back to heaven, he reminds us that, hey, it is better you that, for you that I go because I will send to you a helper who will be with you and in you. His spirits. That's when we speak of God being in us, the fact that the very Holy Spirit resides in every single person who is united to Jesus by faith. But I think it's also a reminder to me tonight of this, that because Jesus is and was God with us, Jesus is so much more relatable than we realize. Obviously, we are not... Jesus, We are not perfect the way that Jesus was. But we're going to study later this semester Hebrews 4 that reminds us that Jesus is a sympathetic high priest who understands us, who is tempted <coughs> like us, who bore up under the very same types of things that we ourselves experience. And yet, unlike us, he endured those things. But because of that, we have a, a, a God, a Savior, who is relatable who is not uh, some God who is high and mighty and wants nothing to do with us, but cares so much that he was willing to come into this messed up, sinful, broken world so that you could be brought back into right relationship with him.
That's the glorious truth that you have had the privilege to study this week, and that's the glorious truth that you now have the privilege to unpack and better process together with your group. So let me pray for that now. Father, thank you for the time together, and I pray that you would bless the discussions for these groups as they seek to better understand this idea that you are the intimate God who came to dwell amongst sinners like us. Help us never to uh, undervalue or to take that truth for granted. And help us to better understand that tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.